welcome to Minute 123 of the Great Escape Minute, the daily podcast where we dig into the Great Escape one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me again today on this lovely Wednesday is Lisa Leahy of the Critical Movie Critics and the Between the Scares podcast. Welcome back to the show, Lisa. Hi, Rob. We've made it to hump day. Uh, Apparently. (laughs) I hope you're having a good week. Uh, So far, so good. (laughs) <laughs> looking, looking forward to discussing more greatest moments with you. Yeah, we've we've had we've found some pretty cool stuff over the last two days. So maybe who knows what we'll find today? Maybe it'll be a boring minute. I doubt it, though. Uh, I don't think there is such a thing in this movie. In my opinion, I agree. In my opinion, I agree. Okay, so minute one twenty three begins with we get to see uh, two POWs, which we identified yesterday as Nimmo and Haynes, running off into the forest, and it goes all the way to the point where we see Cavendish exiting the hole. Okay, so. As we discussed yesterday, the the, the uh, escape is on. Earlier in the week, we saw Blythe and Henley get out, Danny and Willie get out. Then we had two unidentified characters get out, and then we get to see Haynes and Nemo run out into the forest. So we and we still have Hilt standing guard on the rope, which again we're not sure how long that rope really is, letting people know when it's safe to come out, which is obviously very important. Yes, that we will be discussing. And so, a huge uh, risk. Him standing exactly. out there all this time. Yeah, which which says a lot about his character. Definitely. You know, that that as, as, as much of a loner as he's been throughout this entire movie, this is one of the scenes where you actually get to see in action, you know, how much he cares about everyone else and is not only in it, in it for himself. True, very I true. I mean, we've, we've had points where he's mentioned, you know, that he's willing to help other people with things, but this is the first act of him helping out the... The other prisoners and again as as you said it's very he's sacrificing him here because yeah. he's taking a very big risk that he could get caught but I, I think it also has to do with his personality the fact that that he is so high on himself that you know he, he doesn't he doesn't think there's a chance he's going to get caught you know as a, yeah doesn't seem worried as a teacher at of all. teenagers you probably and as, as a parent of teenagers i know this and you might know it as a teacher you know teenage he, he's acting like a teenager here you know he feels he feels that he is completely bulletproof. I guess is the, is the right word for it. Fireproof, bulletproof, something like that. You know where nothing can happen to him. He's he's safe. These guards do not scare him at any point. I mean, he's a guy who's constantly trying to get out of there throughout the film. I mean, he spends most of the film to this point in the cooler anyway. You know, and every time he heads back in there, it's just like, oh yeah, my old faithful room. You know, like, he just is not concerned at all about being yeah, in trouble. Exactly. Because he, well, then again, I mean, the, the, the guards here are pretty tame. <laughs> True. Know, we have, we, we, we've gone through 122 minutes of the movie and one character has, has died, you know. True. Very true. You know, and also that's not based on anything true either. There, there were mm-hmm. characters that were shot, but not specifically on July 4th trying to climb the fence. You know, that type of thing. Right. In a panic, yeah. Then we we go back inside the tunnel, and we get to see Roger and Mac back in their cramped quarters underneath. The way that that, that Mac is sitting, actually, the way that both of them are sitting does not look comfortable at all. No. Definitely. Mine needs to be screaming. I mean, it looks like Roger's possibly got his his leg bent or something like that, but but look at the way Mac's legs are. He's got one knee bent Mm -hmm. and the other one lying on the ground. I mean... We were talking yesterday about leg cramps. <laughs> Two of them are going to have a lot of trouble at this point. Absolutely. There's, there's no question about that. Mac looks like he's in agony. <laughs> he's like, I just want to get out of here. And then yeah. we get the Sedgwick, who earlier oh, Sedgwick. <laughs> last week, we, we got to see him actually going into the tunnel with this large suitcase. 
in the rest of the movie, we'll get to see what he does with this large suitcase. First of all, he's got to have a lot of strength in his arms to be holding that suitcase out the way that he's holding it. Out in front of him as he goes on the dolly cart. That was insane. There's, there's no question about that. I mean, he's, he's going on the trolley and holding that, and you, you see his hands waver a little bit. They dip down, dip up, whatever. Now, this is something that I've, that I've teased in the past to, to, to people who've, who've been listening to the show. In both the, uh, the original story and in the original script, they actually have something extra that happens here. And it's completely cut out of this movie, which I sort of understand why it's cut out. But, you know, it also baffles me that they, they cut it out. Basically, in... Actually, I'll start with, with the original script. The original script... Uh, actually, you know what? I think I'm going to go with uh, the real story. So, in the real story, there is a character whose name is Tom Kirby Green. Oh, a character. There's... This is a real person, so he's not really a character. Uh, I'm just going to read a few paragraphs, short paragraphs, explaining what happens to Kirby Green as he's going through the tunnel. Yeah. So, uh, basically, the, the prisoners are all starting to get out of the tunnel, and then one of the characters, one of the prisoners, named Crump, okay? So, it... it, it the, the quote goes like this. Crump had had his hand, his fingers crossed for hours, praying there would be no falls. But at about 1.30, the luck gave out. Tom Kirby Green was halfway between Piccadilly and Leicester Square. Again, they named each of the way stations. Yeah. So they knew which one they were talking about. He was halfway between Piccadilly and Leicester Square when he moved position slightly on the trolley and the real, rear wheels rose up and came off the rails. He tried to squeeze himself off the platform and, and back to fix it, but his burly shoulders caught on the damaged box frame and tore it out. The roof collapsed and down came the sand, bringing oh, down boy. about three more feet of roofing and more sand crushed down. It was a bad fall. In two seconds, Kirby Green was buried from legs to, to shoulders and the tunnel was blocked. Wrapped in all of his kit, the big man couldn't move, but luckily his head was clear and he could breathe. Up in Lancaster Square, Birkeland who had been hauling him, the guy pulling the, you know, the, the trolley along, felt the ropes tighten and stop. Looking down the tunnel, he could not see the dim lights of the fat lamp in Piccadilly and knew that the tunnel was blocked. He crawled down to the accident and slowly pulled Kirby Green clear, then made the big man crawl over him up to the halfway house. Brooklyn started patching up the tunnel, working like a sweating madman in almost total darkness, feeling where the boards had come away and then putting for them in the fallen sand. I'm not going to keep reading, but basically at this point, they needed to fix it. You know, in the middle of the escape, the the, the, the ceiling comes tumbling down, and, you know, this, this is something that really happened. Wow. So, you know, it, it, it took them a little bit of time to actually have to fix it, to patch it up, which, again, is, is something that, that stopped the escape from happening. Absolutely. Uh, or that, that, that halted the escape at the time. So when you look at the original script of the movie, so you get a moving shot of Sedgwick. So Sedgwick moving down the tunnel, a corner of his suitcase brushes the wall of the tunnel. The trolley lurches an inch more and the suitcase edge jams against the shoring. Half a dozen boards come loose and the sand comes down. So basically at this point, we, we see that in the original script that, that they were trying to stay true to the real story, that something happened along the way that caused a cave-in. Wow. Basically, we basically see that uh, Sedgwick, is, at that point, needs to, to start digging himself out and, and fixing up the entire area, you know, of the collapse. The cave-in, yeah. At this point, they then show a whole bunch of, of other POWs that are piling up because 
you know, they all want to go through and they're waiting and they start cursing. You know, you hear, you hear curses in, in, in the distance and they're all trying to, everyone's wondering why or what has stopped uh, on both sides. Both you have Hilts. Again, we've got another stoppage, you know, if we count the one with Danny exactly. from before. They're still trying to figure out the whole thing. And at this point, we, we then get a, a pretty funny line from, from Soren, who's actually in charge of, he took over, he's the guy who took over from uh, Sedgwick, keeping track of who's yep. going into the tunnel and everything. So then Soren <laughs> steps over the legs in the corridor and stops in the center and says to everybody, let me have your attention, everyone. Your attention, please. We're running far behind schedule. Those of you traveling by trains have probably already missed them. You'll be, you'll be able to catch trains later, but you won't be as far away as we'd hope when the stuff hits the fan. If anyone wants to change his mind, now's your chance. He waits. Nobody oh, wow. responds. <laughs> and he goes, all right, there'll be a further delay. There's been a cave-in. <laughs> so then someone screams out from, from, oh, the, uh, you know, from the back, haven't you got any good news? And he goes, yes. The last of the people with suitcases have gone through, and we're about to start on the blanket brigade. That should make things go faster. Once we resume, sit tight, boys. And then it starts. Then it starts moving along after that. So I, I just like this little interlude. The fact that I mean, I'm really surprised that they completely cut this out because it would show a little more of the difficulties, and especially since this is something that really happened. You know, it's it's the, the whole thing with Danny right. is fabricated. But this is something that, yep. you know, if you're watching the movie or you're reading the original story, you, you're aware of the fact that this happened. So 25 years after this yeah. movie came out, they they had a sequel that was a made-for-TV movie called The Great Escape to the Untold Story, which basically uh, is more is more of the truth of what happened in The Real Escape. And they the actually stuff they left out of the first movie, more or less. I mean, we'll, we'll discuss this later in in the in the podcast when when we actually when some of my guests are people who have connections to the real story. But there there is a lot of bad blood by the fact that that you know they they added Hollywood tension instead of using some of the real tension that there was during the real escape. And this right. is a clear example. Now in the the made for the movie that that they that came out in 1988, they actually do have a scene in there where someone is carrying a suitcase. And it breaks down the wall, uh, breaks down the the tunnel, and there's a cave in as they're getting out. So they, they, uh, I guess, sort of made up for it with that version. At least attempted to. Of, exactly, exactly. So I just thought that that's very interesting that they kept that, or that they they cut it out. Well, especially I, I because it's this, it. this trunk that they goof on him for. You know, what have you got in there? A piano? You know, like it's this whole element of this trunk. And then he just, you know, saunters through the tunnel and holds it by his fingertips and everything's fine. So, I mean, you almost expect that what we see is less believable than what really happened. So what the heck were they doing in cutting that scene out? Yeah, exactly. And as, as anyone who's seen the whole movie knows, Cedric actually holds on to that suitcase throughout the entire movie. Right. He doesn't, doesn't lose it at all. You know, Crazy. then we, we get back to Hiltz and we see him trying to, uh, waiting for someone to come through. You know, he's jerk, jerking on the, uh, the rope. Mm -hmm. And then he looks over and sees Frick standing outside of the gate, not inside of the yep. gate, smoking a cigarette, yep. which months ago we discussed the whole fact that, that Werner said that he's not allowed to smoke when he's on duty. So why is Frick allowed to? Yep. Is it if you're, if you're on duty, maybe it depends on what type of duty you're doing. If you're in the middle of the camp, you're allowed to smoke. But if you're standing guard at night, you're allowed to. I, I don't know. Maybe he lit up during the blackout when they turned all the lights off. And now that the lights have come back on, he's like, oop. And then they'll see yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. 
That's true. <laughs> You'll see the, 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 the little bit of light from the. Ah, that's a good there. point. Exactly. So whatever. I would it's just the, something fun to point out. <laughs> you know, whether it's true or not, I don't know. So he's looking around, exhales, looks around. Maybe he's looking around, making sure that nobody sees that he's smoking. There you go. See? <laughs> yeah, that, that is possible. And then once again, we get to see Hiltz, where he taps on the rope. As he's tapping on the rope, we see that large suitcase come out. You know, sans uh, sand. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, he, he didn't he wasn't really in a cave. That would have actually been funny if, if the suitcase was, was filled with sand, was covered in sand. Because they like filmed the scene. It off. No, because they filmed the scene and then they cut it out. Good point. You know, but continuity error. But it isn't. No, there is no continuity error. I said that would be funny if that did happen. It would have been. Yeah, no, it I get you. Yeah, maybe they refilmed it because they knew there would be a continuity error. Somebody did their work. Good and job. Exactly. And then uh, Cedric stands up and pushes the suitcase. And like everyone else, he grabs it and runs across the, the, the open field. He goes. Not, not crouching too much. Not really <laughs> concerned that someone's going to catch him or find him or anything like that. He And I, I like the way when he comes out, he looks around. You know, he looks around suspiciously. Yes. You know, I, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, most mm-hmm. of the other characters just come out and just run across. He's he's actually looking around to see what's going on. Yep. And as he passes his hilts, he taps him on the shoulder to give him yep. a thanks as he runs off. Which, again, this is one of the first characters that, that we see. I mean, Ashley Pitt at the beginning, when when he was the first one to escape. But but most of these characters are are escaping in pairs, and Cedric yep. is also on his own. Yep. You know, and then we get to see Hiltz waiting for his next person to come, and he, you know quickly snaps the rope, waiting for someone to to, to come out. And then mm-hmm. we we get a shot of Roger and Mac back in yeah. Piccadilly or Lightcaster or whatever station they're in. And, and it's silent up above. The siren is done. There's yeah. no music. It's just this quiet stillness now. Yes. And uh, Mac turns to Roger and says, Roger, I think we better get out of here if we want to have a chance to, to at all for any of the trains. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, it's great that they actually cut out the, you know, the line from Soren, basically telling everyone they're going to miss the trains. Right. <laughs> I made the leap. I was able to make the leap going, oh, all right, there's a schedule. Because he does talk about getting the timetables early on when they first start planning it. Yes. So they were looking to, to get out at a certain point. Yeah, exactly. Basically, and Mac reassures Roger that, you know, everything's moving smoothly, and we'll just have to pass on the instructions from man to man, yeah. which in theory makes sense. Right. But as we shall see, it might not. And then Roger basically uh, agrees. He says, right? And he realizes that there is a lot of truth to what Mac is actually telling him. And then he, he looks at his watch. Trying to, you know, I, I like the fact, again, with the detail, that they made sure that everyone had a watch. Mm-hmm. You know, they were able to scrounge or build or whatever it is, watches. Or maybe most of them already had watches uh, from when they bailed out. I guess that's not something that they took away from them or anything like that. Yeah, that's something I didn't think about. Yeah. I mean, they got to keep all their their uh, their insignia, their badges, you know, their their uniforms. I mean, it seemed that that was something right. that was respected. So, you know, what are they going to do with a watch? I don't know. Right, but they also they also let them keep them they let them keep them uh, thick and span clean. That's true. You know, especially Henley with that with with, with his white turtleneck <laughs> <laughs> that has stayed white. Absolutely. So Roger at this point says, "All right," and he yep. starts ascending the ladder. You know, he's not waiting for for anyone, which is funny. They agree, and then Roger just goes. He doesn't wait yeah. for the next guy it's to come out. It's interesting the way Roger <laughs> makes decisions. 
Like, it's just like, once it's done, it's done. Yeah. Go. He doesn't think it through after he's made that decision. Exactly. And then Mac basically says, I'll be right behind you. And then we get to see Hilt once again a little frustrated because, you know, he keeps pulling on that rope right. and nobody's coming out. <laughs> he's uh, tugging away. We get to see Roger pop his head out of the hole. And he takes his briefcase, puts it out. I gotta say, Richard Attenborough, he plays this character quite yes, with a lot does. of agility. You you wouldn't expect him to to pop out as easily right. as he does here. So he does he does a nice job about that. And then he basically rolls over yep. <laughs> onto his side, and then Mac throws his he he throws his briefcase out, and and Mac then does a nice spin also. You know, the two of them are they, they look like they're the you know swimming yes. the beach, right? <laughs> You know, <laughs> by doing nice, yep. nice uh, acrobats, you're right. And but then the two of them stand Obviously up. Obviously, all have fight. you know. I mean, everybody's <laughs> gonna switch their legs out of this hole. Exactly, correct. But but uh, what I love about the fact is, is here you have these two characters who are are doing their utmost, and they're doing doing uh, all these acrobatics to to keep as low as possible when they're coming out of the tunnel. But as soon as they're both out, they both stand <laughs> up and run across. The best part. They they make it next to tilts, and they both crouch crouch down. And they, they look towards That's the it. hole. Waiting for the next one. And then we, we start seeing something emerge mm-hmm. from from that hole. Again, it's just it it's hilarious the way that they get out of this. The, the two of them get out of the, the, the hole. Yep. Just to, to run across. And you know the the the, the expression that 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 uh, <laughs> Hiltz and Roger give one another. They they like yes. look at each other and then they both <laughs> look towards the camera. You know, it looks like a very comical response <laughs> to, to the way the whole thing looks. And then we, we get to see Cavendish start to come out of the, yes. uh, the hole with his package, which I'm, I'm still, I've seen this movie what so many times, that? but I'm always confused about the fact that the way that his package is, is tied up and secured, he, there's no way he's going to be able to get something out of that so simply. You know, it's not like... No. It, it's like a birthday gift for his kid or something. Like, what is no, this but how thing? is it useful to him? That's the question. You know, know. if it's a birthday cake, then then fine. Uh, My assumption is it's not. (laughs) Birthday gift or something. (laughs) It's, uh, you know, an escape gift. (laughs) He's been holding this, yes. Souvenirs. uh, It it reminds me of, you know, Tom Hanks in Castaway. You know, he's got that one package that he's not going (laughs) to open. So this is Cavendish. Cavendish was working for FedEx, (laughs) and he decided that when I finally get out, I'm going to go deliver this package. That thing getting delivered. Exactly. Absolutely. It's going to be beat to hell, but it'll get exactly. there. Exactly. And, and I always love Robert Zemeckis' uh, response when people ask him what, what was in the package. Because in, in Castaway, they never tell us. And his answer is always, what are you, what are you talking about? It was a uh, satellite cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, would have helped him get, a, get off the island. <laughs> yes. Cavendish comes out of the hole with this very strange package. We're going to see tomorrow what happens with that package. Yeah, oh, this package. Very, very important package. Anyone who wants to know what that, what's, what that package, why that package is so important, you can you Gotta tune, to in tune in tomorrow. tomorrow. Exactly. As they say, same bat channel, same bat time. <laughs> Lisa, do you have any other notes for this minute? No, I think we've covered it. All right. Excellent. Do you want to once again tell people how they can get in touch with you? Well, you can find me on the Rabbit Hole Productions uh, podcast productions page uh, where you find information about Between the Scares podcast, uh, me and my friend Jason Soto talking about Bloomhouse movies. And you can also look up The Sib List, also Rabbit Hole Productions, where my brother and I torment each other and 
decide which film we're going to watch, and we leave it all up to chance and Wheel of Doom. And we'll see what uh, kinds of films we have to see next and all kinds of sibling rivalry. So we have a good time. <laughs> Sounds like fun. And you can get in touch with us by going to our website, thegreatescapeminute.com. Our Twitter account is greatescapemxm. Our Facebook group is The Cooler. And our email address is thegreatminute at gmail.com. So, Lisa, once again, you want to come back in tomorrow? I would love that. Okay, sounds like fun. And we'll, we'll get to find out what, why this package is so important. Oh, this package. <laughs> <laughs> All right, tally-ho. Tally-ho. Tally-ho.